<clears throat> well, good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing this morning? You doing good? Praise the Lord. <clears throat> well, this morning, before I get into First John, there's a pre-sermon admonishment I'd like to share with you. Something that God's put on my heart hopefully applies to your lives. Um, if you would turn with me in your Bibles to First Corinthians chapter 3, we'll read verses 1 through 3. And um, something that, um, this is something that I was working through in my heart and mind when I was originally conducting this study of First John. And um, as I taught First John the first time at Ankeny Baptist, this was something that was a an accompaniment with the study. And uh, Lord really put it on my heart this morning that this is something that might be beneficial for uh, some of you. So I thought I'd share it with you. <clears throat> Chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, verse 1 says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. <clears throat> Please forgive me. I, my voice is this for me. Thank you. <clears throat> My voice, for some reason, is very dry. Forgive me. <clears throat> and I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in, the, in Christ. I fed you with the milk and not with the solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, and you, are not, uh, and you are not carnal and behaving like mere men. And are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? <clears throat> the reason I studied First John was because I was sipping at the, at the proverbial bottle of the word of God. I was receiving milk. I was not consuming meat. I was not disciplined in my study of the word of God personally, individually. I wanted to strengthen my baby teeth so they might eventually fall out and I would have adult teeth to sink into the meat of the word of God. Um, I want to provide this admonishment to you this morning that you don't Simply listen as individuals who are in the congregation hearing my predigested and nourished by me. I, I receive the nourishment from the Word of God, but I, I am merely telling you what I have learned, what I've studied. And what I would desire for you is that you study it for yourself, that you consume the Word of God, that you receive the nourishment from the meat. And hopefully, you're as the deer that pants for the water, as I apparently need water this morning. <clears throat> the water that is um, to provide, um, to quench your thirst so you thirst no more. The food that provides sufficiency so that you hunger no more. That is what you should desire this morning. So... One of the reasons why I provide for you the Word of God, simply as I 
I divide it up is because I want you to have the Word of God in front of you. I want you to be thinking through it. And as it is, I, I think of this. Imagine a passage that you've never read before. Maybe somewhere in Song of Songs or Ezekiel or something. I think of that as raw meat. And when you read it for the first time, you're beginning to cook it. And as you read it again, it becomes consumable. And you read it again, it becomes more consumable. But still, in this, pas- in this fashion, it can be difficult to digest. Especially if you're a babe in the, in the Word of God. Especially if you are used to milk. It can be difficult to consume it in this, in this way. So what I've done, hopefully, is just take your steak and cut it up for you. So that you, and so that you can see it. You can read it. You can see that there are different sections. Take it a little bit at a time. You don't have to consume it all at once. You can see that there are words that are repeated. You can see that there are uh, parallel thoughts which help you to understand it better. And even now, as hopefully I am using my adult teeth to digest and consume the Word of God, you know what I still do? I still cut up the meat. Because it's easier for me to digest that way. And when you consume it little by little. And you're carefully observing the text. It is nourishment to you. And so. This morning as we get into 1 John. I hope that you would look at the text. And not just hear what I have to say. Don't just consume the pre-digested word of God. But consume it for yourself anew. And be nourished. <clears throat> As I was studying for this passage, I was thinking to myself of a time back when I was in grade school. Um, I was not a particularly good student. I, I didn't know why, but it was very, very difficult for me to spell anything. Um, we called it the Hammond's Curse. Because no one in our family could spell anything. And it was something that my parents were worried about when I was little, that I would learn how to spell. It's a very fundamental, important part of growing up, is being able to read, and read quickly, and read with comprehension. So I would be disciplined frequently if I would not do well on a spelling test, or I would do a reading comprehension quiz, and I didn't know what I read because I was worried. I had a timer, and once the timer was up, you couldn't read anymore. And so if I read at the pace that I could understand, I wouldn't finish the story. And if I read it as fast as I was supposed to, I wouldn't understand anything. I didn't know that I was dyslexic. I didn't know that words and letters were jumbled up in my vision. I told my parents, and they, <clears throat> they said, well, you, you can't read. You need glasses, probably. So they took me to the doctor, and I would look at his chart, and he would say to me, you know, you... You can clearly see that there are letters there, but you can't tell A from E. So maybe you have stigmatism. That's what he thought I had. So I wore glasses for stigmatism, and I was dyslexic. And that did not improve my grades. So there were many times when I would sit down in front of my test, my spelling test, and I would would pray to God, and I would say, you know, you've promised that your son would return. This is a great time. And um, 
I don't want to encourage you, if you're going through a trial this morning, if you're struggling through something, that you pray for the hastening of Jesus Christ's second coming to expedite your removal from the trial. I believe trials are actually a blessing from God. They're a way that we can, in fact, grow and be taught. Sometimes they're a result of sin. And when that's the case, what do we need to do? We ask for God's forgiveness. Right? But it is important to think about the second coming of Christ. And that's what we're going to get into today in 1 John Chapter 2, we didn't finish last week, starting in verse 18, I'm going to be reading all the way through until chapter 3, verse 6. It says, little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ He is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Therefore, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If you heard from the beginning, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He promised us eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie. And just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. Now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifest to take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him or known him. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you this morning. Uh, to consume the, the meat of the Word of God, we pray that you would uh, provide us with your Holy Spirit to reveal truth to us and to help us to understand. <clears throat> Lord, we uh, 
come humbly before you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Starting in verse 18. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now, many Antichrists have come. So, what does he mean by the last hour? Well, as many of you probably guessed, it's referring to the time right before Jesus would come again. And I think it's important if you look back to verse 17, that 17 is really when he starts talking about this concept of time and the, and the temporal nature of our existence here on earth. And it says, and the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. And he continues that thought in verse 18 by acknowledging that this is the last hour. So what does he mean by last hour? Because for us, I mean, you guys think I've probably been preaching for an hour already. That's, that's not what he's talking about. We know from passages <clears throat> such as Second uh, Peter 3, eight. But do not let this one thing escape your notice, dear friends, that one day with the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years is a single day. What he's referring to is not an actual hour of time, but that period, that age, that, that dispensation, you might even say, before the second coming of Christ in which we will experience many trials. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5 talks more about this and saying, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people, turn away. Turn away, he says. So First John is addressing this, this age, this hour, this time that precedes the second coming of Christ in which we will experience great trials and we will experience it at the hands of ungodly men. John causes their perspective to focus on the temporal nature of their struggle. We're going to see this again in chapter 3, verse 3. When we get there, we'll come back and we'll talk about this again. It says in verse 19, They went out from us. Who went out from us? Antichrist. But they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be manifest that none of them were of us. Sometimes, you know, we think of people leaving the church and it discourages us. It should discourage us every time. Is they're, they're separating themselves from the word of God. And I'm not saying that everyone who leaves the church is an antichrist. But it is quite possible that those who have turned away from God never knew God. Those that left were manifested as not actually of us. And I ask you this morning, <clears throat> although painful, it was a part of God's plan for the purpose of the purity of the church that they leave. 
Would you want unbelievers voting in your business meetings? Would you want a son of the devil, as described in, uh, later in this, in this book, those who are antichrist or sons of the devil, but we are sons of God? Would you want someone like that training your children in Sunday school? Would you want someone greedy for money running your finances in the church? No, you would not. And although difficult and divisive, and these people are fighting because, well, the person that left might have been their best friend. And the person that left might have been their brother. And it's hard. And it hurts. But God has a plan in all things. And his will is perfect. His plan is more wonderful and beautiful than we can imagine. That says that he works all things together for good that, for those that love him. So even when we're experiencing trials, even when we're, we're saddened in heart, what we're going through is quite likely for our benefit. Now you want to be careful because it says for those that love him. And as we know, it is possible for a believer to be walking in darkness. So caution yourself. Make sure that you are walking in the light as he is in the light. Verse 20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Now this one is especially tricky to think through. Um, Anointing from the Holy One is simple. Who is the Holy One? Well, it could be referring to Jesus, the Holy One, or the Holy Spirit. Either way, I think it's, it's fairly easy to understand. John identifies the difference between the believers and the Antichrist in this verse. The believers have received the anointing from the Holy One. In Mark 1, verse 8 through 7, it says that, And he preached, saying, There comes one after me. This is uh, John the Baptist. There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to, to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and so you understand that the believer has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Um, when it says, you know all things, I think possibly it could be better translated as each of you, that's the all, has received knowledge. Each of you has received knowledge. The idea here is that the Holy Spirit provides knowledge which is not acceptable, or it's not, um, is not accepted by all men. The Holy Spirit receives, uh, gives knowledge to those who are believers, and we have understanding that the unbelieving do not have. And he says, he, he affirms their salvation in verse 21. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. And once again, we can pair this with uh, chapter 2, verses 12 through 14, in identifying these are believers. And so he's saying, you don't need to listen to the truth of the apostate. 
They come to you and they identify as, as bringing truth. They think they know what is and what isn't true. And um, you already know the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is an antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. These men were denying that Jesus is the Son of God. Their speculation regarding who this group is, this group of antichrist that seems to be trying to convince the believers in whatever church this is, that Jesus wasn't the Son of God. But it doesn't seem relevant in this passage, just what group that is, more so what they taught. Why does he go through such an incredible amount of, of evidence in First, in first John 1, that which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked at, which our hands have touched, we have heard, this we proclaim to you concerning the word of life. All of these evidences, the fact that there's the plurality of them over a long period of time, is done to give validation to their message. Because there are people that are trying to deceive them, as we read. And so he identifies quickly for them, anyone who denies the Son does not have the Father either. And he who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. It's that simple. If anybody comes to you with a different gospel, reject them. Even if it's us. That's something that Paul told the Galatians. Therefore, verse 24, let what abide in you, which you have heard from the beginning, Let that abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. What is it that they learned? What is it that they heard from the beginning? What is the message outlined in 1 John 1, 6 through 10? It said, Let the belief in Jesus Christ... And the unification of the saints through his blood provoke you to an abounding love for one another and for God. That's what's supposed to abide in you. Belief in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. His work. And let that belief drive you to unification through his blood with the believers. And let your love abound for one another and for God. Through that. That abiding. Is something that we see so repeated. Don't, don't overlook it. it says, when it says walk in the light. The walking is the process. Of doing something over time. Abide. Let it remain. Let it, let it be so much a part of you. That it comes out of you. And this is the promise. That he has promised us. Eternal life. How can God promise us eternal life? Because he's the word of life. He's the word of life that appeared in chapter 1 and verse 2, I believe it is. 2 or 3. He's the word of life. He is life. He can give life. He conquered death. He can give you eternal life. But... As we see in 
verse 17, the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Um, These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. That section right there, I think from, you could say, verse 15 through 26, he says, because there are people trying to deceive them. And he wants them to know the truth. And because they already know the truth, but they're unsure and they're questioning because there are people who they love who are abandoning the faith. There are people who have been with them for years, perhaps, who are abandoning the faith in favor of a false gospel. And so he says, abide. Abide in these things and you will have eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who deceive you, but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it is taught you, you will abide in him. Um, <clears throat> so what does this mean? Does this mean that my purpose up here is, is uh, well, useless? <laughs> I'm, you don't need anybody to teach you, so you might as well go home and study the word of God because you have the Holy Spirit. I don't believe so. I believe that <clears throat> Romans ten fourteen says, How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him who they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Preachers teach from the word of God through the Holy Spirit. But I think that they do it because they are united with the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians two fourteen through 16 But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. What it's saying here is not that Believers should ignore all other believers. They don't need teaching. They don't need a pastor. They don't need any... No. What it's saying is that you have the true gospel. You have the truth. You know the truth. You've received it from the beginning. You have the message. You have the command. And if anybody says anything else, they're wrong. And you do not need them to teach you. If anyone is an antichrist and they claim that Jesus is not the Son of God, they're wrong. And the Holy Spirit teaches you concerning all things. And they cannot judge you. They cannot rightly judge you because they do not have the Holy Spirit. They don't have the Holy Spirit teaching them all things. They cannot rightly judge you. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Why would we be ashamed before him at his coming? If we're walking in darkness. 
to walking in darkness and the source of light comes and reveals you in the midst of the darkness. I I would be ashamed. So walk in the light as he is in the light. Confess your sins. Humble yourselves. Overcome your differences with the believers through the unity that you find through confession of sins. Don't persist in darkness, but abide in the light. Abide in Him. And allow the Holy Spirit to teach you all things. If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of Him. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us. That we should be called children of God. We do not deserve any of this. The fellowship with God, with Jesus, with other believers. Behold what manner of love. Keep in mind the gift that you've been given. Don't quickly judge other believers when they sin in a righteous or haughty fashion. But be humbled by the opportunity that you have through Jesus Christ to even recognize sin. Because the world doesn't, therefore the world does not know us. Those of us that walk in the light. Because it did not know Him. Light and darkness have no fellowship with one another. Therefore, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, those who walk in darkness do not know us. Don't let let it surprise you, brothers, when the world despises you. When the world does not understand you. Don't let it discourage you. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know. We know that when he is revealed, when he appears, when he is manifested... It's the same word. It's the same word that you see in 1 John chapter 1. And the word of God was revealed. We know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Now, this is interesting. Because we shall be like him. Where else does it talk about being like him in this passage? In verse 6. So, let's jog your memory. Go to chapter 2 and look at verse 6. It says, He who abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. And we discussed this. Verse 4 and 5 indicates to us that those who walk as Jesus walked are walking in obedience with the Father. Right? And so what does it mean to purify ourselves just as he is pure? We purify ourselves through what? By what means? Can we, do we have means in and of ourselves to purify ourselves? Can I take soap and, and wash myself enough to be pure before God? Absolutely not. Chapter 1, I keep 
pushing guys back to chapter 1. Don't you love it? That's why you have to know this. You have to understand what's going on in chapter 1. Because he keeps referring back to it. It is the cornerstone of this book. Chapter 1 verses 5 through 10 tells you how to walk in the light as he is in the light. You must confess your sins. And he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Therefore, purifying yourself through confession of sin. You do the confession. Christ does the purifying. And we purify ourselves. Why? Because he's pure. And we desire fellowship with him. Therefore, we purify ourselves just as he is pure. And we have this hope that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. We shall be like him, therefore, pure, just as he is pure. And brothers, I don't think we'll struggle as we have in this world. This just hour of time before his coming. This hour, this season, this age before he comes of struggle and trial and strife where man is sinning and they don't understand us because we are seeking after God and we're confessing our sins and we're walking in the light. All this struggle, dealing with Antichrist who are trying to lead us away from the truth, all of this will end. It will end in the glorious revelation of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who purifies us from all sin. So don't be in darkness when he comes or you'll be ashamed. Don't let that magnificent revelation of Christ be one of shame. Don't allow it. Walk in the light. Abide in him. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. I took your sins away. Why are you in darkness? And in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. And by implication, whoever abides in him does not abide in darkness. And whoever abides in darkness has neither seen him or known him. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you this morning and we pray that you would work mightily in our lives, that we would not be chained to sin. Lord, you set us free. We're now slaves unto righteousness. But sometimes the desires of our hearts do not match with the word of God and We pray that you would be working in our hearts and we would confess our sins and be fellowship with God so that the Holy Spirit can teach us into all truth and that we would not be ashamed in the day of Christ. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.